Hey, this is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is Rico, your host for this week's podcast, as always. Welcome to the show, everyone. If you're new, uh, welcome. If you've listened uh, to all these, oh, 150-plus podcasts, welcome back. This will be podcast number 152 for December the 9th. 2007. Gosh, it's only about, uh, what, three weeks? No, less than that, maybe. Two, two, plus uh, a couple of days to Christmas. Two weeks plus a couple of days till Christmas. All right, uh, a little bit uh, nasally this morning, so hopefully you can bear with me on that. Uh, This week we're going to do a Star Trek Voyager episode, uh, The Gift, featuring uh, a good look at Seven of Nine. That will be coming up on the show later on. We have a book review from the Duffster. We have some other uh, audio from another uh, of our fa- favorite uh, contributors to the show, along with uh, some Trek movie news, other little sci-fi tidbits, uh, just lots of fun, and a collectible I'm going to throw in at the very end. So uh, without any further ado, let's get started. Okay, folks, there to get us started off is the theme uh, by Jerry Goldsmith of Star Trek Voyager, and welcome to this week's podcast, folks. This is, uh, like I said earlier, show 152. The first thing I want to start off with today is uh, a bit of uh, kind of a sad story a little bit, but sort of with a silver lining. Uh, One of the contributors to the podcast, a great friend of the show on the forums, and, and, you know, always good to send in a fun clip. Rick Moyer, uh, who lives in the state of Washington, earlier last week, their house was uh, uh, fairly uh, damaged by a bad storm out there, wind and, and I guess rain and everything, and part of the roof was taken off, uh, you know, it was a regular Wizard of Oz scene, so 
Uh, I just wanted to pass that on. Of course, uh, I also want to make sure to, that everyone realizes his family is just fine. Everyone is okay and their pets. And if you watch the video podcast, uh, you'll know who I'm talking about. They always do, uh, Rick and Nathan do those great uh, father and son reviews uh, for the show. And it, it just just a good friend of myself and the podcast. So what we decided to do on the forum is we took up a little collection for the Moyers. They uh, they do have insurance, fortunately, but, you know, there are expenses and deductibles and things for these kinds of incidents, and it, it does take some money to uh, to take care of all that. And they actually are uh, in a small rental home, I believe, now, uh, while their, other, uh, their regular home gets repaired. But uh, several people were uh, very kind on the forum to donate some funds. We sent them a little gift basket of some meats and cheese and that kind of from hickory farms and i I think it really helped them out a lot you know in these kinds of uh incidents and difficult times i i think it's the you know your spirit that really gets down you know anything can be repaired basically uh that's not the issue it's just you know especially at this time of year this is a a really difficult thing to happen and their whole lives become you know disrupted and like i said everyone's okay but it's a it's a difficult situation, so we were trying to make them feel a little bit better, and I, and I think we helped out on that. And I also want to throw out there that I am still uh, collecting for this. If anyone else, because the basically this announcement just went out on the forums, and this is the first time I've had a chance to podcast about it. But if you would like to send in any kind of small donation, I will be happy to pass it along to the Moyers. Those can be sent to my PayPal, which is treksf at gmail dot com. Uh, anything you could do would be appreciated. I know this is a expensive time of the year for a lot of people with the holidays and all, but uh, you know, a few dollars always helps out. So I'll just throw that out there. And the last thing I'm going to say about this, or or actually Rick Moyer is going to say, is uh, he sent in a voicemail. They're still having. Uh, I think he's just getting back online in their rental home on the internet, but he did have cell phone service, and he sent in this voicemail to the show uh, to uh, uh, you know give his thanks to everyone for helping him out. So listen to Rick, uh, and I'll be back in a couple minutes. Hey, everyone at Trex and Sci-Fi. This is Rick Moyer. And Rico, I wanted to call and thank you and everyone on the forums for the incredible help and encouragement you've been to us over the last six days. As many of you know, our Grace Harbor area here in Washington State was hit by a devastating windstorm that took out most of our power and our water and did severe damage to many homes in our area. Um, Our house lost its roof and we got severe water damage, so much much so that we had to move out of our house actually here in the last couple of days and find another place. Uh, The first few days were really scary, was really difficult because of having no power. But uh, fortunately, our cell phone worked, and I was really happy, being the geek that I am, that my phone worked through the storm, so go figure. I was able to get a message out to you, Rico, and on my trio, and I started getting some of the nicest emails and phone calls. I just want to say thank you to everyone. You just don't even know what it meant to us. Uh, When you guys sent us a gift basket from Hickory Farms, and then Rico, you informed me that you guys had taken up a collection, and... My wife and I, we, we cried when we got that email on my phone. We're so thankful for friends like you guys. It was just, I can't even, I don't even know how to express it. The money was enough to pay for half of our deductible on our insurance. And uh, and every all the insurance people have been really good with us as well and taking care of things that we needed. And we were just blown away. You just don't even know how much that meant to us. People say the world's an angry place, but honestly, with friends like you, 
it really restores my faith in people, especially Star Trek geeks like us, huh? Yeah, we stick together. So just thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. I can't say it enough. We're now safe and warm, and our pets are with us in our rental home. Uh, it's all worked out just fine. We're going to be okay. As I speak, the uh, contractors are putting the new roof on. The water damage people are working on our sheetrock of our house. It's pretty amazing that the power company is out here, and they're, everybody's working hard to get all the power back on, and, and things work back together, and people are helping each other. It's a, it's a great, great thing going on. So please think good thoughts and say some prayers for the people here. There's many people in the same predicament that we are, and we're just thankful nobody was hurt. Uh, so from Amy, Nathan, Andrew, Catherine, and I, we want to say one more time, thanks again, Trex and Sci-Fi. You guys mean and gals mean so much to us, more than we could ever say. So I'll see you on Wednesday. I get my Internet hooked back up then. So uh, bless you guys, and thanks again for everything. I, I just can't tell you how cool you guys have been. Bless you guys. Bye. Well, I'm, uh, like I said, very happy that his family and everyone is fine out there. Uh, it's unfortunate about the damage, but, you know, we were able to help them out a little bit. And, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it's great to enjoy sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars, other sci-fi movies and TV, books and everything. But to, to me, these kinds of things and, and how you deal with them and what you do about it when friends and family are in need is is kind of what all the future is all about and, you know, to to really take care of the you know your fellow man. I, I know it sounds a little bit cliche, and and I, I don't mean to be that uh, you know sounding just cliche about it, but you know I I, I know not excuse me I, I'm getting all choked up here or whatever. But I I not only uh, you know enjoy this stuff, I also try to sort of in a way live it and practice it to a degree. So. Anyway, with all that said, uh, like I said, if you'd like to donate, I'm still uh, open for that, and I'll pass along anything that additional that comes into the Moyers. And like I said, I'm just happy that everyone's okay out there. Okay, the uh, I have one little correction to make uh, about last week's podcast. Uh, one of the uh, listeners, Art Lemoreau, who uh, who has written to the show a few times before, who also has a, a full-scale uh, replica of the B-9 robot from Lost in Space, corrected uh, one of my uh, errors from last week's show. I think I had mentioned that Bob May was the robot. Well, he actually, Bob May was just the, the person, the smaller person that was inside the, the costume of the robot on occasion on the set. Uh, Dick Tufield, uh, T-U-F-E-L-D, who was, I, th- I believe, an announcer and done a lot of voice work uh, around that era in the 60s. He was the voice of the robot. So, Bob May was inside the robot. Dick was the voice of the robot. And uh, one cool thing that Art sent in, I'm going to play a little clip here for you, is he has this full-scale replica of that B-9 robot from Lost in Space and was able to uh, get Dick to create some uh, very special quotes and lines for his own personal robot. And I'm going to play one of those for you right now. Live long and prosper, Trekkie. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that would be one of my dream items to have my own uh, B-9 robot from Lost in Space. I'm also partial to Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet as well. To have a full-scale replica of both of those someday would be a, a dream come true. But to have, uh, you know, very custom-made lines recorded for your robot, well, that's that's just pretty, pretty darn cool, I think. So thanks a lot, uh, Art, for sending that information in. And sorry about that. Uh, a little bit of robot uh, problem and correction about Dick's voice and Bob in the suit. So 
That uh, I, I think uh, that would be uh, the only thing I missed on Lost in Space uh, podcast. I try to, you know, back up the research and, and and look into things quite a bit before I do it. But Lost in Space isn't quite as much of a passion for me as, as Star Trek. So, uh, but anyway, thanks a lot, Art, for that sending in those uh, cool uh, audio bits. Okay, let's get into some uh, Star Trek news and, and things going on in the world of Trek. You know, it seems like. You know, Star Trek just seems to really be going great guns right now. There's a lot of things going on, not just the movie is filming. You know, Leonard Nimoy, I guess, from what I read, is reporting uh, on the set next week to start uh, filming his portion of the film, uh, which is cool news. You know, a few years ago, he had basically retired from acting, didn't think he'd ever do Trek again, and here he is in a, in a Star Trek movie, uh, which is which is very, you know, just amazing to me you know these guys just keep going and doing this stuff and of course i'm happy about that but the uh other thing though beside the movie that i wanted to pass on is there is a new star trek exhibit that is going to be going around the country to like 40 different cities it's called star trek the tour and it's going to have sets and props and costumes and all kinds of neat things from the various series uh, I guess stuff that they still have uh, uh, that they've managed to hold on to that didn't get sold off in last year's Christie's auctions. But uh, there is a commercial, a radio commercial, that's starting to uh, show up. The first city that this is going to pop up in is uh, Long Beach, California. And this this commercial is uh, basically tailored towards the, the California Long Beach area. But it's going to show up in a lot of different cities. You can get more information at StarTrek.com about the Star Trek The Tour. I think there's even I think there's a website called Star Trek The Tour that you can go directly there, too. I will link that stuff up in the podcast notes. And I'm excited about it because this thing is going to end up in Detroit. And we nothing comes to Detroit except for auto shows and stuff. So I'm pretty happy about that we're going to get to see this. And actually fairly soon. I think sometime in, in relatively early 2008 were one of the earlier cities. They haven't released, they have released, I should say, the the list of the cities it's, the show is going to be in, but I haven't seen a specific schedule about what, what city is when. I just know the first few cities they have listed. Uh, Detroit is one of those. Like I said, Long Beach, California is going to be the first. Anyway, here's the commercial. Uh, it's about a minute long, and it gets you pretty excited to see this. Beginning January 18th, you can explore the outer reaches of the galaxy and your imagination. Star Trek The Tour is coming to Long Beach, California with the largest interactive Star Trek experience ever. Now through Friday, December 14th, American Express card members can be the first to boldly go where no one has gone before and get your tickets before the general public. Full motion flight simulator, a thrilling 360-degree multimedia theater, a scale reproduction of the Enterprise Bridge, an exclusive opportunity to Step inside the world of Star Trek with the world's largest collection of sets, props, and costumes. Four weeks only at the Queen Mary Dome, January 18th through February 17th. American Express card members only. Get your tickets now through this Friday, December 14th, before the general public, December 15th. By phone, 213-480-3232 at Ticketmaster.com or StarTrekTheTour.com. Star Trek The Tour is coming to Long Beach. Produced by C-Touring Productions and presented by Metropolitan Talent. Pretty cool, huh? Some kind of a simulator, like uh, they have at the Star Trek Experience in Vegas. Going to have a bridge mock-up and, and just uh, a lot of uh, cool stuff. So, uh, 
Of course, I'll be going when it shows up in Detroit and try to do a special report. I'm not sure how much photographs and video they'll allow you to take, but I'll do the best that I can. Maybe a little audio, but uh, it really looks like a lot of fun for Star Trek fans to see this. They've done these kind of exhibits like this before for Star Wars, and I think there was a Trek one actually at one point too that traveled around, but nothing as elaborate as this seems like it's going to be. So definitely if you're a fan, check out those those uh, cities, and I'm sure you'll be able to find if you're in the United States. I'm not so sure that it's going to be out anywhere up in Canada or not, but if you're in the United States, Star Trek the Tour for all us Trekkies. Okay, next up we have a, uh, a review of a comic, or I should say a comic, a graphic novel, the set of Klingon stories that were done by IDW. Uh, Jim Wong sent in a review of that. It's fairly... Uh, detailed and i think you'll enjoy it so listen to jim and his discussion about the star trek comic uh, klingon graphic novel hi rico this is jim from san leandro california and i want to thank you for all the hard work you've put in and all the great work you've put in on the podcasts i certainly enjoy every one of those podcasts i wanted to offer up a review of the graphic novel Star Trek Klingon Blood Will Tell. This graphic novel is a compilation of the five-issue comic book done by IDW Publishing. I believe they also have done a series on The Next Generation and a series based on year four of the five-year mission of the Enterprise, which I hope to get and read that pretty soon. In Star Trek Klingon Blood Will Tell, we are given the Klingon perspective on many of those Klingon human encounters that we are familiar with. In chapter one of a five chapter uh, novel we're introduced to this elder Klingon by the name of Khan Ra and he's talking to his granddaughter and he's agonizing over a vote because he must cast a deciding vote on whether the Klingons should enter into peace talks with the Federation. The Klingons have suffered a major disaster when their mining facility Praxis blows up, as seen at the start of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Anyway, Conra, then, in talking to his granddaughter, takes us back via several flashbacks to some of those encounters that the Klingons had with humans, mainly those from the Enterprise, Kirk, Spock, Koi, and the rest. Some of the notable Klingons mentioned or seen or referred to in this novel include Chancellor Gorkon, Commander Kor, Commander Koloth, and Commander Kang. In Chapter 1 on the planet Organia, Kor, who's seen in Aaron of Mercy, meets up with Kirk and Spot. But there's a lot that goes on even before this meeting. And so we see some of this history and we understand some of the motivations of why the Klingons are the fierce, proud, independent race that they are, and why they hate the humans whom they refer to as Earthers. We also see a very interesting explanation for the prominent ridges seen on later Klingon foreheads. But I won't spoil it for you. I think you'll have to pick up this uh, graphic novel as soon as you can. But anyway, I will say one thing, one word, that may explain this. Augments. That's all I'm going to say. In another flashback, the Klingons' next encounter with Kirk is at Deep Space Station K-7. And we're familiar with that story, The Trouble with Tribbles. But 
what we don't see in, in the original telling of the story that we do see in this one is that we see a little history behind the development of uh, the Klingon that would be on Darwin in this episode. And uh, it's a very interesting uh, revelation, although none of this is actually considered canon. In another flashback to the Day of the Dove, this is the episode where an alien entity feeds on the anger and hatred of others and pits the Klingons against an equal number of the Enterprise crew members. And so uh, we are given the Klingon perspective on that episode. And overall, I would say there's another uh, flashback which makes reference to the events in A Private Little War. And that's an episode where Kirk and crew decide that they need to arm a group of hill dwellers who are at war against these other uh, group of uh, villagers but they're being armed by the Klingons. And this is a kind of a, a standoff there. Overall, this is a beautifully illustrated um, uh, graphic novel. After Chapter 5, there is a section called the Gallery Section. And in there, there are several pages of really beautifully done images of uh, some of the principal characters like Koloth and Kang and Kor. Uh, I see one that's beautifully done of Kang and his wife on the bridge of the Enterprise. Very, very beautiful. Those images alone are probably worth getting the graphic novel. Beyond that gallery section, there's one final section. Actually, there is actually a reprint of Chapter 1 that's all done in Klingon, which is very, a very interesting read if you want to attempt to read it. So there's a Chapter 1 which is done, of course, in English. And then at the very end of the book, there's a, a reprint of Chapter 1, but all done in Klingon. And then there's actually a Chapter 1 script to follow. So all in all, a, a, a very useful, very enjoyable and pleasant book. Uh, there was one story that didn't, didn't hit for me, a uh, backstory, which, which was involving the Private Little War episode. But overall, I think it's a good book, and I would highly recommend any Star Trek fan of the original series to go ahead and, and purchase that, uh, purchase the, the volume. Uh, don't purchase the individual comics. I think when it comes in the volume, it just makes it a lot, lot more neat to have. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you, Jim, for that cool review of the Star Trek uh, graphic uh, Klingon novel uh, of all those collected Klingon issues. Yeah, I did. Uh, I bought all the individual issues. I'm kind of a, you know, I go to the comic shop every week, see what's out, and so I've been following like the year four and the the various alien species comics they've been doing and the Klingon tales from the different perspective and found them really good. It was, you know, it's always interesting to see that from a, another point of view uh, type of storytelling. I really liked them, and thanks for uh, your comments about it, Jim. Okay, uh, one more uh, listener call here, an entry, and then we'll be getting into the Star Trek episode for this week. Uh, we've got the Duffster with a uh, a review of a different set of novels, uh, not uh, Trek. This is the Honor Harrington uh, novels, I believe, and take it away, Duffster. Hey, everyone, this is Duffster, and this is your science fiction book review, brought to you by ReadMoreSciFi.com. Well, today we're not going to talk about a particular book. We're going to talk about a series of books. They're the Honor, Honor Harrington series by David Weber. 
Um, I don't know if you've read these or not, but they are definitely worth a read. There's uh, about 11 in the main series uh, stories, the main novels. There's a few uh, subgenre novels, short stories, things like that. Um, the the basic character in these books is a, a, a lady called Honor Harrington. Um, she is, uh, well, she's one tough lady, let's put it that way. She's a member, an officer in the Royal Manticorn Navy. Um, she, they, she's nicknamed the Salamander because she always seems to be in, in the hot spots at the right time or the wrong time as it may be. Um, these are a, a really good series of books. The first one is called On Basilisk Station. came out in 1993. And he's been very uh, uh, prodigious in, with new books as they come out over the years. The latest one was in 2006. Um, they tell the story of, uh, they follow Honor's life, basically, as she, she uh, is a, a young officer on, uh, well, on Basilisk Station, the first episode. Um, during much of uh, Honor's career, as it goes to the books, uh, the uh, Star Kingdom Metacor is at war with the neighboring uh, People's Republic of Haven. Um, th these are just, these books will grab you. Um, the the my favorite part of these books is the descriptions of the space battles uh, between these huge ships of the line. Um, it, it, it's just amazing to think about going to war at such high G with these ships and you know all the uh, computations and vectors you got to take for all your missiles and, and the strategies they use. Um, in the later books, uh, Otter becomes more of a strategist, although she can never be described as a politician, which causes all kinds of problems. So, um, I encourage all of you to go out and uh, pick these books up. They're they're definitely worth a read. And uh, well, I guess I'm going to leave you with this: uh, read more science fiction. Ta-ta. Well, as always, Duffster, thank you for that excellent book review. And Duffster is coordinating. Again, I'd like to mention the the book club that has started on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums. Just go over to treksinsci-fi.com, click on the forums link, sign up for the forum, and uh, hop on to uh, the book club. We're reading A Death Star currently, which is uh, obviously a book about the Death Star from Star Wars. I'm about half, more than halfway through the book. Uh, we're reading about... I think about 100 pages a week, uh, which is a nice pace. Not too much, not too little. Uh, and uh, I think it's a very interesting read so far. So that's a lot of fun to discuss uh, a book that other people are reading all at the same time on there. We've got the RPG game going as well. So check out the forums. We'd love to have you. You've got some new members in the last few weeks. Always looking for more. Hey, I'm going to take a very, very short break here. And I will be right back. And we'll dig right into the Voyager episode, The Gift. Our host, Rico, will be right back with more sci-fi goodness on Treks in Sci-Fi. Okay, I'm back. The uh, the Star Trek episode this week from Star Trek Voyage, Voyager. Star Trek Voyager. Yes, I can, I can still talk today, even though it's still relatively early and the weather's cold. All right, enough of that. Star Trek Voyager, The Gift, early in Season 4. This is the episode that took place just after Scorpion, where Seven and Nine is removed from the Borg Collective and is now aboard uh, the Voyager uh, ship, Voyager Starship, with Janeway and crew and company and on their way back to the Alpha Quadrant uh, with this sort of half-human, half-Borg uh, aboard. 
Borg aboard. <laughs> All right, enough of that. This episode was directed by Anson Williams. Potsy from Happy Days directed this episode. It was written by Joe Minoski, who wrote quite a few Voyager episodes. Uh, I think this is a good episode. It's a solid episode and kind of a... Well, there's 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 a couple of big things that happen in it, and I, I thought it was a good episode to cover since we did do uh, one about that Scorpion uh, two-parter uh, a few couple months back. I covered those. I wanted to do this follow-up one because I think this is an important episode. I think they could have almost made that Scorpion thing a three-part storyline because this really follows up right after what happened there. You know, Seven of Nine is aboard the Voyager, uh, and they uh, they still haven't removed all of her Borg uh, equipment and and so forth and she's not become a lot more human looking yet like she does it throughout most of the rest of the series uh we still have her in her you know with her little eyepiece and all that gunk on her head and you know doesn't doesn't have the silver cat suit yet so anyway uh this uh this is a great episode really i think jerry ryan especially in this episode really uh has uh you know shows her acting skills uh, greatly i mean to to come into a show uh, like uh, a sci-fi show, a Star Trek show, and not only come in as like a little guest star and kind of playing a human, maybe with a little bumpy nose or whatever, but to come in and have to play this Borg thing, not really knowing what that's all about and that they've changed or trying to make her human, I, I, it's just got to be difficult, to, and I, I think she really does a great job with it. Let's uh, let's get into some other details. Oh, the other thing about this episode uh, is it's a it's a fairly big Kess story because and I'm not sure maybe somebody listening to the show knows the actual way this all worked out. I'm not sure if bringing you know Jerry Ryan seven and nine aboard Voyager meant well we were going to have to lose a crewman or crew woman or crew member or an, let's just basically say one of the actors on the show is going to have to go. We've got a big cast already. We bring in a new character. We're going to have to eliminate one. I'm not really sure. Why they, you know, took Kess out? Jennifer Lean, I, you know, was was removed from the show. I know Kenny, uh, who contributes to the show and, and helps run the forum, is a big Voyager fan. Maybe he knows what happened, or if it was just a mutual decision by, you know, the producers about this or what, or if Jennifer wanted to leave. I, I think I've heard a little bit that she kind of wanted to leave. You know, the the character of Kess had never really been given a great deal to do. I thought she had an interesting character. This, uh, this character with a very short lifespan uh, and uh, being Neelix's, uh, you know, uh, girlfriend or whatever. But uh, anyway, it's it, it makes sense, I guess, that they bring in a new character, especially one like Seven of Nine, and who ends up being, uh, you know, in a lot of episodes, uh, becomes a pretty pivotal figure in the later seasons of Star Trek Voyager, that they really weren't going to have a whole lot of room to... Uh, to use the other characters. I mean, a lot, a lot of the other characters didn't really get a, little, a lot of screen time as it was, and if they bring in another one, well, they're going to have even less. So uh, let, let's uh, let's go on, though. Let's move on from that. So this is basically a Seven of Nine and a Kess story, and I like how they interweave the two stories together. Uh, it, they do a good job with that, and we'll get into that as we go through the episode. I have about ten clips to play for you, and here's the first one early in this episode. So... How's the newest addition to our family? At the moment, she's stable, but the prognosis isn't clear. Her human physiology has begun to reassert itself. Respiratory system, neurological functions, immune response. But those systems are swarming with Borg implants. There's a battle being waged inside her body between the biological and the technological. And I'm not sure which is going to win. Well, it's time we brought her up to date. Wake her. 
Captain Janeway. What have you... The others. I can't hear the others. The voices are gone. We had to neutralize the neurotransceiver in your upper spinal column. Your link to the collective has been severed. You will return this drone to the Borg. I'm afraid I can't do that. You will return this drone to the Borg. If I were to turn this ship around and head back into Borg territory, I'd be putting my crew at risk. I'm not prepared to do that. Try to understand. You have to stay on board, Voyager. But I'm offering you freedom from the Collective, and I assure you we'll do everything we can to help the transmission... You will supply us with a subspace transmitter and leave us on the nearest planet. The Borg will come for us. It's too late for that. Your human cells are starting to regenerate. You won't survive without medical care. We need nothing from you. We are Borg. Yeah, very good uh, scene there. There's a lot of those scenes in this episode between Janeway and Seven of Nine. You know, the conflict, Janeway's trying to do the right thing. This is uh, a human, uh, a human little girl, actually, that was taken by the Borg and, uh, you know, Borgified, basically, for lack of a better word, uh, early in her life and had never really known what it was like to grow up with humans, be with humans. And Janeway feels like she's doing the right thing here. But, of course, Seven of Nine has been, her whole life has been with the Borg, and she feels, you know, very violated and wants to go back with them. And it's, you know, it makes sense. People or you know, if you grew up under that kind of condition and environment, that would that's where your loyalties would be. You wouldn't know any other way. Unlike somebody like when they did Picard, you know, in Best of Both Worlds, where most of his life had been spent with humans, you know, growing up, living, working, and so forth. And then to be, you know, violated and changed into a Borg against his will was, you know, something totally foreign and alien to him. And, of course, he was, uh, you know, very shaken by that experience and, of course, didn't want to stay with the Borg. There was no question about that. But this is a different situation. And they, and they kind of, uh, they you know, they kind of walk a fine line here because this is obviously doing things which are, you know, which... 709 it doesn't agree with you know taking out the implants and so on uh let's go on they discover that uh, her real name is anakin ha- anika anika <laughs> oh too much anakin in in star wars anika hansen is her name anika hansen and that's her real life name they they dig through the data banks find that out um and try to explain that to her as well there's a scene here though coming up the clip that i want to play next for you is between uh, Kess and Tuvok primarily. This is, you know, Kess starts to uh, sort of evolve throughout this episode. She starts to, you know, get a lot uh, greater telepathic abilities. Her uh, mental uh, skills improve. Uh, She gets, you know, all this telekinesis. And, And this comes into play a lot of times in this episode where she sees what Seven of Nine is up to and is able to stop her and things like that. So this next scene, though, is them discussing the situation and how Kess is changing. How are you, Kess? I feel exhilarated, Captain. I've never been so focused in my life, and my telepathic abilities are stronger than they've ever been. Your performance today was astonishing. However, your psychokinetic powers are still undisciplined and, as a result, unpredictable. I feel like I'm in control. Nevertheless... You must proceed with caution. 
and with my assistance. What are you suggesting? A series of guided meditations to help her explore the depth of these new abilities. Yes. I'm ready. Well then, if you'll excuse us, we should begin immediately. Yeah, so uh, so Tuvok and Kess go off and do the little meditation thing, try to, you know, give her a little more control about these abilities that she's getting very fast. They don't really explain why it's happening to her, if there's if this is part of the normal life cycle for her or for her or if there's something that's made it accelerate itself. They they don't really go into a lot of detail. I thought it was kind of a slick way to advance her progression, kind of to, you know, get her off the show. You know, they couldn't just, you know, zap her with a phaser and and kill her off or whatever. That would have been kind of, you know, just wouldn't have been quite right. And I thought this was kind of an interesting and elaborate way to remove her from the show, but make it a little interesting and make it mean something, too, which is uh, the name of the episode is called The Gift, which we'll talk about towards the end of this uh, review uh, there's something that happens at the end that I think is kind of cool. The next clip here is another scene. Uh, I think this is in Sick Bay. This is between Janeway again and Seven of Nine. They've started to try to remove some of these Borg uh, uh, implants and things off of her, and she's not, of course, too happy about that. But you feel isolated, alone. You are an individual. You are small. You cannot understand what it is to be Borg. No. But I can imagine. You were part of a vast consciousness. Billions of minds working together. A harmony of purpose and thought. No indecision, no doubts. The security and strength of a unified will. And you've lost that. This drone is small now. Alone. One voice. One mind. The silence is unacceptable. We need the others. I can't give you back to the Borg, but you're not alone. You're part of a human community now. A human collective. We may be individuals, but we live and work together. You can have some of the unity you require right here on Voyager. You know, when you think when you think about it, there would be something kind of cool about having everyone's mind join, no conflict. Everyone would think the same. I mean, just think of, uh, you know, the how how difficult the world is. You know, not just these days, but throughout history, because people couldn't get along with each other. Uh, it's, you know, the, the Borg get along with each other. <laughs> Everyone, basically, there's no free will. There's one will. You know, there's one collective intellect, one collective decision, no no ifs, ands, or buts, no debate, no question, just, just this is, you know, not should we go right or should we go left. They all go right or they all go left together. Uh, there, there's some a lot of power and a lot of, uh, you know, there's some appeal to that, although I think as humans... Uh, that is, and it's another one of those Star Trek classic situations where the the free will element and the original series and, and every Star Trek series explore that quite a bit. You know, they ran into different worlds where the individual was sort of snuffed out to you know in a way, 
And they, you know, they would come in, the Federation and Kirk or whoever, sweep in and say, well, that's not right. People, you know, should have their own voice. And this, you know, the Borg are probably as far from the way we see the universe and the way we see things and the way they should be as you could get, really. And and free will is very important to humans. The Borg is is the anti and, you know, the and the antithesis of that. So anyway... Let's move on. Uh, next clip. This is a little bit of a longer clip, but I, I think it was kind of an important point to the episode. There is a, uh, a part of this episode, you know, one of the things that's going on with the Voyager, sh- with the, the ship itself, is a lot of Borg equipment was put aboard during those Scorpion two-parters to help the ship out and get them through. They uh, they ask Seven of Nine to help them remove all this junk, all this Borg junk on the on the ship. Borg junk. <laughs> Borg technology. Let's let's use some fancy terms. So uh, anyway, they they ask Seven, and she says, "Sure, I'll, I'll I'll help you out." But of course, she still wants to get back to the collective, and this uh, enables her to set to, to uh, send a signal out, and that's what this clip involves. So listen to this. So what's it like out there in Galactic Cluster Three? Beyond your comprehension. Try me. Galactic Cluster 3 is a transmaterial energy plane intersecting 22 billion omnicordial life forms. Oh. Interesting. Ensign Kim, your assistance. Captain, somebody's trying to access the subspace transmitter. Captain, I don't know how, but she's erected some kind of force field around the door. We can't break through it. She's bypassed our security protocols. Disable the transmitter. It's too late. It's obvious your mental abilities have progressed beyond this particular Vulcan exercise. I suggest we... What is it? Something's wrong. Borg is trying to contact her people. Tuvok to security team one. Intruder alert in engineering. Wait. I think I can stop her. over yeah kess has become uh, fairly powerful there she's able to uh send out like a little electrical charge from the engineering area where seven was and zaps her and knocks her down and knocks her out and, and they get control back of the ship uh, a good scene there obviously seven's trying to get back to the board kess stops her uh and it like i said they they interlink the two stories there kind of nicely and they do that a few times throughout this episode the next clip that I've got for you today is uh, this one's between a nice little scene and in the mess hall between Neelix and Kess. It's a little unfortunate, you know, you don't get to see more of Neelix. You know, he's her her, her best friend. They're, they're basically in love with each other in a way. I don't know. They don't really go into that very much throughout Voyager, but or at least the times they've been on there. Anyway, the, uh, the scene here is uh, between the two of them, nice little scene. 
and I think it might be the only one you see between the two of them uh, in this episode. So here you go. Talaxian champagne, moon ripened, your favorite. Elix, where did you get this? I put a bottle away for a special occasion. Remember when we last sipped this together? Three years ago. It was when we first arrived on Voyager. And do you remember the toast I made? Yes. To the adventure. To the adventure. When you left Ocampa, you said that your people were being held back. That if you were only given the chance, you could become something so much more. And you have. I know things haven't worked out exactly the way we planned. I was only holding you back. That's obvious to me now. No, I couldn't have come this far without you. And I love you. I always will. Yeah, nice, nice scene there. Neelix uh, always fun, and you know Ethan Phillips does a great job in that part, and Jennifer Lean as. Uh, cast there a nice scene in, in the mess hall that it's good to have those little quiet moments i think in episodes like this with a lot of crazy things going on you know good character bits to to put in and and show you what the characters are thinking and uh how they feel at the time next uh, up we've got another uh, this one's uh i think this is about a minute long but this is uh i think it's in sick bay yeah this is the sick bay one between uh tuvok and the doctor primarily talking about Kess and what kind of you know, tests and things that he's trying to figure out what's going on with Kess, uh, why she's uh, all of a sudden her mental abilities are are becoming greater than that of mortal men. So anyway, <laughs> listen to this. I've run every conceivable neural analysis, everything short of dissecting the brain itself. Her telesynaptic activity is increasing, but I don't know why or how to stop it. Have the ship's internal sensors revealed anything? For 17.4 seconds, Kess's body went into a state of cellular flux. She began to destabilize at the subatomic level. And for some reason, her atoms reestablished their bonds and she was back in one piece. But what about the next time? Her condition is escalating. We must find a way to suppress it, or the last we'll see of Kess could very well be her molecules blowing through the ventilation ducts. Tuvok, enhance the structural integrity field throughout the ship. If she has another incident, I'd like to avoid a hull breach. Doctor? Maybe it's time we broaden our horizons. This appears to have gone beyond medical science. We're into particle physics now. I'll try looking through the quantum substructure database. Maybe it'll give me some inspiration. Keep me informed. Yeah, like I said, they don't uh, really discover what's going on with Kess here. Uh, It's never really mentioned that this is typical of her people or not, of uh, the Ocampa, or do they always go through this sort of you know, ascension. It's kind of reminds me of the ascension thing that happens uh, that they talk about it with the uh, on Stargate with the ancients and everything like that. That you know, she's ascending to sort of some higher state of consciousness, and that's basically what happens or what appears to happen in this episode. The uh, next clip, next clip is another one of these Seven and uh, Janeway exchanges. This one's, I think, pretty intense. It's pretty good. They. Because she has uh, gone off to try to contact her people, they decide to throw her in uh, a force field in the brig, basically. 
keep her under control for now. She still has a few Borg uh, implants at, at this point in the episode, and Janeway goes to talk to her to try to reason with her another time and to explain the situation uh, and to see how uh, how Seven's taking all of this. So uh, listen to this. It's pretty good. And again, Jerry Ryan, I think, does a great job. I always liked her, her portrayal of Seven of Nine, but these episodes when she first comes aboard Voyager, I think of some, it, actually some of the best work is some of her early work here, and she really uh, gets... Uh, gets into it, I think, in a good way. So here you go. I am one. Yes, you are. But I cannot function this way alone. You're not alone. I'm willing to help you. If that's true, you won't do this to me. Take me back to my own kind. You are with your own kind. Humans. I don't remember being human. I don't know what it is to be human. What are you doing? I'm coming in. I'll kill you. I don't think you will. Do you remember her? Her name was Annika Hansen. She was born on Stardate 25479 at the Tendara Colony. There's still a lot we don't know about her. Did she have any siblings? Who were her friends? Where did she go to school? What was her favorite color? me back to the Borg. I can't do that. Quiet. One voice. One voice can be stronger than a thousand voices. Your mind is independent now with its own unique identity. You are forcing that identity upon me. It's not mine. Oh, yes, it is. I'm just giving you back what was stolen from you. The existence you were denied. The child who never had a chance. That life is yours to live now. Don't want that life! It's what you are. Don't resist it. No! I thought it was uh, interesting in that scene towards the end that Janeway uses the same kind of line that the Borg always use. You know, don't resist it. You know, the resistance is futile is one of those... You know, is the Borg catchphrase basically, and and here Janeway is saying, "Don't resist being human." It's it's kind of interesting how that it's things have been you know thrown uh, 180 degrees like that. You know, they're they're sort of forcing her to be human, where the Borg forced her to be Borg. Uh, it kind of uh, you know, it's it's um, an interesting take on it, uh, and it's you know, there's a point in this episode in Sick Bay where they're first starting to remove her implants, and the doctor decides or is you know there's a 
ethical dilemma a bit on his part because his patient, Seven of Nine, is basically doesn't want this to happen, is refusing it, but Janeway feels that she's not in her proper, you know, mental state in a way and that this is in her own best interest. Just like I think in, you know, modern medicine these days where people, if they weren't able to make, you know, decisions for themselves that their family or friends would make them for them, you know, in in their best interest, at least what you would think would be their best interest. And that same thing is happening in this episode. So interesting stuff. Uh, A couple more clips to play for you. This one is... um, Kess is really starting to, you know, go subatomic and and dis- destabilize, which is really messing up Voyager. Each time she does this, it 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 all the surrounding part of the ship around her starts to also destabilize and f- sort of fall apart. And uh, Janeway is with her at this point in the episode, and they try to get her off the ship. Uh, she's already decided she needs to leave. She's a danger to them, and so they're heading uh, off to take her to a shuttle. So here's this clip, and I'll be back in a minute or two. To rock. I can't keep going. I will attempt a mind meld to help you delay the transformation. Our minds are one. Our thoughts are one. Try to regain control for a moment. Only for a moment. Only for a moment. You must hurry. Hull breach on decks three, four, and five. Emergency containment fields. Janeway to the bridge. Kess is aboard the shuttle. Initiate launch sequence. Acknowledged. Shuttle distance, 100,000 kilometers. Speed, one-quarter impulse. Can you hail her? I've been trying. It's happening. It's happening to me. Her atomic structure is completely destabilizing. I give to you. The warp core just came online. Matter antimatter reaction at 102 percent, 110 percent, 120. This can't be right. Our speed is—it's impossible. We're coming apart. We've just dropped out of. Whatever it was we were in, systems coming back online. On screen. Where are we? 9.5 thousand light years from where we just were. She's thrown us safely beyond Borg space. Ten years closer to home. That's very cool within the matter of, you know, whatever, 30 seconds or so there. Uh, Kess, as she destabilizes and becomes whatever and being of energy, ascended, whatever is happening there to her, 
she pushes the Voyager ship, uh, she pushes Voyager uh, 10 years ahead, 10 years closer to the Alpha Quadrant and, and way out of Borg territory, which is, uh, you know, was a good, nice way to uh, gift, you know, send them off. And it was also helped the, the storyline. They didn't have to continue to run into the Borg and they were far enough away from them that, that it was, they still run into them here and there throughout the rest of the series, of course, but not like they would when they were deep into their territory. One more clip for you, and we'll be rounding this out. This is at the very end. Uh, They go to visit the new Seven of Nine in her little silver outfit, and uh, she's got hair now and everything. They don't really give you a timeline of how long it took to to finish this off. Uh, uh, I I guess it was a a little while. It wouldn't be that quick to get her all uh, almost completely human again. Uh, This is kind of funny. I I enjoy the doctor's lines in this this clip, and uh, I'll play it for you, and I'll be back to wrap it up. I've extracted 82% of the Borg hardware. The remaining bioimplants are stable and better than anything I could synthesize at such short notice. It is acceptable. Fashion, of course, is hardly my forte. Nevertheless, I've managed to balance functionality and aesthetics in a pleasing enough manner. I also took the liberty of stimulating your hair follicles. A vicarious experience for me, as you might imagine. You'll have to spend a few hours each day regenerating in a Borg alcove till your human metabolism can function on its own. We'll leave one operational. Understood. Let's see how things go over the next few weeks. I'll consider granting you access to the rest of the ship once I can trust that you won't try to get us all assimilated again. It will not happen again. Good. If you need anything... Contact me. Red. What? The child you spoke of, the girl. Her favorite color was red. Yeah, so there you have our look at the the Voyager episode from Season 4, The Gift. Uh, A good transition episode for uh, both Kess and Seven of Nine coming aboard Voyager. Uh, lots of interesting things, and this sets the stage, of course, for Seven of Nine's run on the final few seasons here of Voyager. And I think she was a good character to add and a strong actress. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's no question that she brought in a lot more male viewers to Voyager, I think, when she showed up. But uh, a good episode and uh, a fun one to watch again uh, for the podcast. I'll take a real brief break, come back with a look at a collectible. I just love sci-fi collectibles. Here's Rico now with the latest in cool props and toys. Okay, this uh, the collectible for uh, this week's review is, this one's a little bit different. Uh, it's not from Star Trek or Voyager or anything like that. This one's uh, something I, uh, I got uh, maybe about a year or two ago. It is from uh, the movie Constantine. Uh, that one with Keanu Reeves based on a graphic novel. He's kind of a demon hunter, uh, uh, slayer of, uh, you know, creatures from uh, beyond. Anyway, uh, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, he uh, sort of a modern-day uh, exorcist in a way. Anyway, uh, I won't give too much away in the movie, but if you like that kind of thing, uh, if it sounds interesting, check it out. This uh, prop is a uh, a custom kind of handmade uh 
item, uh, not general to the public. Uh, I'm a member over at the Replica Prop Forum, and and different uh, props and replicas that people see in movies and TV, they create on their own when they're not readily available. And somebody did a run of these on the forum, and I picked a set up. This is uh, the set of brass knuckles that uh, Keanu's character uses in the movie Constantine it basically it's it's a set of brass knuckles they're made uh this guy did them in various materials this set that I got was in is made in brass and it has various imprinted on it scripture you know little bits in latin and phrases I guess to ward off all the evil uh, that he would have to battle in the movie that Constantine would have to battle in uh you know his uh his daily, uh, you know, tasks <laughs> anyway, but it, it's a real cool piece. It, it's very heavy. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's a little odd, I guess maybe my people might thinking, Hey, Rico, you've got a set of brass knuckles over in the display case there, but you know, it's a movie replica. It's a prop replica and uh, a movie that I enjoyed and uh, a neat little item. They did do the shotgun. I think I reviewed that before, uh, uh, a company put one of those out, uh, which is an okay piece. But this, I like some of these unique things that are not mass produced that people make. Uh, it just gives you a little unique item in your collection that not a lot of people will own. Uh, and I will uh, have some pictures up in my new collecting gallery for you to take a look at. Uh, again, like a lot of these things that I review, uh, a picture is kind of worth a thousand words. Probably better for you to take a look at this thing rather than uh, me just chit-chatting about it. But it's very authentic. The guy did a great job on them. Uh, it it's really uh, brings uh, you know all the lettering out real well. It's been darkened for those areas. And uh, like I said, it's made out of brass and is heavy, and it feels just uh, very authentic in your hands. So anyway, the Brass Knuckles from Constantine, this week's collectible review. Okay, folks, as we normally do, we come to the end of another podcast each week. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this one. I really uh, thought uh, we covered a lot of ground, uh, uh, talked about the Moyers and got Rick's message and a book, a review, a couple of them, and a comic, and talked about uh, some Star Trek news and Voyager and just everything we went through. I, I really enjoyed it. I like doing the podcast every week. Uh, I'm you know, already after only a couple of weeks itching to do another video show. Well, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'll get to that sometime in the next few weeks, month or two. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this week. Glad uh, you could be with me and listen to the whole show. Uh, as always, you can always contact the podcast. You know, send me your comments about things you've been doing in sci-fi, what you've liked uh, in the movies and on TV. The writer strike is still going. I'm going to go out actually later today with my uh, younger son, Eric. We're going to go see The Golden Compass, which I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie. It looks great. I love the book. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And I'll talk about it probably on next week's podcast, uh, which will be uh, the usual weekend show next weekend. I'm not sure which episode I'm going to cover. It will be up on the website later on today. I will announce what I'm going to cover. You can contact the show, treksf at gmail.com or voicemail line 206-666-127. Check out the website, treksinsci-fi.com. Check out the forums. It's uh, really a lot of good people over there, and I'm very proud of how everyone pitched in to help out the Moyers this week. You guys did a great thing, and pat yourselves on the back because that's – that's what the communities and, and helping each other is all about. Uh, I'm very happy that uh, we were able to do something for them. 
and just really, really great. So uh, kudos to everyone that helped out on that. So that's it. I'm going to get out of here, edit this, try to get it up before I go off to the movie. I will talk to everyone again real soon. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.